Welcome to The Storytellers, the radio show and podcast that features those who choose to leave their mark on the world through the art of story. I'm your host, Grace Salmon. I look forward to our time together today. Now, let's meet our storyteller. Angela Carnes is a double business owner, a BBC broadcaster, and of interest to our listeners today, a storyteller who is an Amazon bestseller. I'm so excited to welcome from the United Kingdom, Angela Carnes. Welcome. Hello. It's lovely to be here. Thank you for inviting me. I'm so thrilled that you could come. You have such a fascinating story. But I want to start out right at the very beginning. Why storytelling? You've been a business owner. You're a coach. Why storytelling? Uh, I've always loved telling stories. And uh, I guess I started storytelling uh, with, I'm a physiotherapist, acupuncturist. And so I do a lot of relaxation work with patients. And I started off telling relaxation stories. Um, and then I recorded those. Um, I bumped in when I was at the BBC, I bumped into a local composer. Um, and I said to him, oh, I don't suppose you'd be interested in soundtracking these. So we had, uh, um, we worked together and we produced a series of relaxation visualizations with sort of movie type immersive soundtracks and we used a lot of musical techniques to make them immersive as well um, and that's where I started telling stories but I knew that I wanted to uh, write a book and I think the trigger for me uh, I lost a, a young friend um, to a very aggressive brain tumor came out of the blue and I think it really hit home to me that we just don't know how much time we have. Um, and therefore, uh, that really spurred me on to look for a writing group and to to start my writing. Yeah. Well, that brings me right to my next thought about you and your work. One of your taglines I absolutely loved. It's every new start begins with an end. So you had a friend with a very aggressive brain tumor. And yeah. talk a little bit about embracing that every new start begins with an end okay so um this is in part the uh the story of the main character ellie rose in in the story uh in that she has a very uh happy fulfilled life uh, laid out for her she has a lot of plans um and then an unexpected bereavement changes all that and she has to look at her life. She relocates and, and uh, she um, finds the resilience to set up a new life. And okay, that's one thing, that's a bereavement. And, and that was one of the things that influences, influenced me. But I feel that for people in general, very often something I mean, who knows what's good and what's bad? And sometimes things happen to us. We have an outcome in mind that gets changed and it feels like a catastrophe at the time. And yet out of it grows self-knowledge, an opportunity, a gift of some kind that takes us in a new direction. And looking back, whilst we don't relish the experience, it nonetheless um sets us off into a pattern that that 
perhaps we wouldn't otherwise have done. And it helps us to find new depths in ourselves. Um, it helps us to find souls who are compatible with us. And support comes from all sorts of unusual places that we don't really expect it to come from sometimes. And sometimes it doesn't come from places we think it would. Um, and I'm fascinated by those relationships and what helps us to grow and um, to develop. So I think those are fascinating relationships. Is that a theme of all of your writing then? Um, well, it's a theme of that first series, definitely. Um, but I think it's a theme of life in general. Um, and I'm I'm particularly interested in how the social and economic um, times influence the lives of, of women. Um, so social, political, economic times, they've influenced the, the, the lives, well, the lives of men and women, but I'm particularly interested in, in the role of women um, and their growth and development. Um, and I think those friendships and that found family is so very important. And you you have, I believe, five books out. You're an Amazon bestseller. I want to talk about that. But you have a brand new book coming out very soon, yes. A Song for Kitty. Tell us about it. Oh, A Song for Kitty is, um, I've dedicated it to my grandmother. She um, was born in 1896 um, and she lived till she was 106. So I knew her well um, and I knew a lot about her life in that pre-First World War time. And it was a fascinating time. I was also fascinated by how fashions were changing at that time and how they allowed the change in the design of clothing for women allowed them access to activities that previously had been restricted for them. Um, the arrival of the First World War obviously allowed some of them access to a working career that they didn't have previously. Um, so it's an absolutely fascinating time and it tells the story of it's a, uh, it's a, a, a romance, um, but it's set in um, the factually, historically, it's it's I've delved into that a, a huge amount. Um, and it's looking at the lives of two young people and how their their life develops and how their relationship moves forward under that sort of pressure cooker of that economic time. So this is historical fiction. You just spurned me on to ask a question. You said the dresses changed access to certain activities. Could yeah. you give us an example? Yes. Um, well, uh, Coco Chanel, for example, was a young dressmaker uh, just before the First World War. And she started to design dresses that could be worn without corsets. And they also had, um, they were above the ankle. So that, um, and she also designed dresses with divided skirts. So they were like culottes. So women could actually play sport that they weren't playing before. And without the corsetry, they could actually breathe so they could move fast and they could bend and so on. Now I'm a physio, so, you know, I can, you know, for me, the, the those fashions where women's were, were tightly corseted, I can just imagine the effect, the impact that had 
on their fitness and their ability to breathe, to move fast. And if you can't breathe well, you're not getting a good blood supply. So your decision making, your concentration are all impacted. Now, as I say, um, in that just pre-World War, we started to get a real change in women's fashion. And um, that gave them access to all sorts of things they hadn't had before. Let's switch a little bit to genre, because here we just talked about your new book, A Song for Kitty, and mm -hmm. that's historical fiction with some romance in it. Your mm -hmm. other your other books are a series, yes. and they're classified as women's fiction. And here in the U.S., there's a big debate about what is women's fiction as a genre. So tell us what the debate is in the U.K., mm. if there so, is one. Yeah. Um, I don't, well, there is a debate going on about that because um, I was speaking to a, a crime writer um, who said, well, lots of women read my books and they're fiction, so they're women's fiction. Um, and I think that the romance genre is fairly well uh, defined and it has a an expectation of the, the uh, design of, of the book. Um, and there are different facets within uh, romance. There, are, there's fantasy romance, and there's there's paranormal, and so on. But they have a sort of um, an arc, a story arc in them. And I, for me, I think where women's fiction came in was that it looked at a slight. It it had other issues that were debated. So there might be. Um, issues, political issues, um, issues about um, women's rights or about human rights, uh, maybe gender issues. And so the Rome, if there was a romantic theme, which there often is, um, it was alongside a, another theme or, or themes that were debated. Yeah, here in the United States, the, the arc is that the female character has to have huge uh, change in personality, you know, mm -hmm. a, a change within not her personality, but within her outcomes, there has to be something yep. that she resolves to become a better yeah. person, if you will, or yeah. uh, resolve yeah. things that help her grow. And yeah. it is interesting. Uh, I'm a member of the Women's Fiction Writers Association. So yeah, me been, too. Yeah, so it's been interesting to watch that debate just a little bit. So you've written a standalone, you've written series. How mm -hmm. do you feel about each? And how do you know when it's going to be a series versus a standalone? Okay, so the series I knew at the start it was going to be a series because I wanted to carry her life through. Um, I wanted to start at this point. I wanted us to see her resolve this issue. And then I wanted to see her move on in her life. And to because she starts off in her 20s so there are so many uh changes in her life um so uh how she runs her career how she looks at confronting whether she's going to have a family or not whether how that will fit in with her career um how she relates to her friends how her marriage works so all those things to be talked about um, as she moves through and as the characters uh, mature and develop. So I knew that I wanted a series um, on that book. And uh, because I'm a physiotherapist, I had a real passion to talk about some 
um, um, health and wellness issues that I, I, I wanted to discuss. There's a um, in the UK, certainly, we've, we've got a little bit sidetracked about focusing on people's health and we maybe don't concentrate enough on their well-being. Um, but I worked quite a lot in Europe and there's a big emphasis in healthcare on people's wellness and well-being. And I wanted to talk a little bit about that. And I also wanted to talk about some of the holistic therapies that I think are not um, that are complementary to conventional medicine as opposed to alternative to. Um, so there were some issues I had that I wanted to talk about in that series as well. So you were able to bring your corporate life and then your yeah. um, writing life uh, together. together. So, yes. Yeah, mm. So you had a you had what many authors would dream about. In 2019, you found an agent, and an yes. agent wanted to work with you. Yes. And then there was and a process. Then, and then yeah. there was a process. And I've seen that uh, many times in the United States. And I've been published traditionally, hybrid, and independently. So I'd love to hear about your wonderful experience of finding an agent and then what really happened with your stories? Yeah, so I was very excited. Um, I met an agent at, um, it, it was a, a writing day, a conference day, and um, I'd been submitting to agents and we had been invited on that day to submit three chapters um, and some would be picked for critique. And uh, mine actually got picked for critique and the agent subsequently um, uh, approached me and said she would like to read the whole manuscript and accepted it and uh, was offered a, a contract. So I was really was very excited about this. And um, I didn't really know what I expected, but I was given quite a short deadline to produce a second book, um, which I met. And, um, and then it just all went quiet. And um, I didn't get a critique back on that second uh, text. And um, it just sat. And in the end, it all just sat for about nine months. And, um, and there didn't seem to be any urgency whatsoever. Um, and then I got asked a deadline for a third book. And I thought, hmm, do you know what? I'm not too happy about this. And, and I own my own business. I, you know, I'm, I, I manage two healthcare clinics. And I just thought I have transferable skills here. And I'd been reading a lot about the self-publishing world. I'd been to conferences and so on. And I thought I have some of these skills. And I started writing relatively late and I don't want my books to be posthumous, basically. <laughs> I want them to see them out there. Oh, I love that. So, <laughs> so I spoke to my agent and I said, look, I think I'm going to take my series and I'm going to go alone. And she was, you know, she was very reasonable about, about that, um, but was very interested in the historical fiction. And, um, and then again, it kind of went quiet. And I thought, I'm having to work too hard at this relationship. So, um, yeah, I brought my books out. I did a lot. It's a lot of work. It's a steep learning curve. Um, it took me a while to get my street team together, my editor and my cover designer and 
my proofreader, it, you know, I made mistakes and um, I had to correct on that first book. Um, and then I re-released with a new cover and I'd, I'd edited and, and so on. And that's when I had my um, bestseller. And I'd, I'd learned also about the, the um, book marketing, which, you know, you have to wear many hats as a self-published author and and you need a good street team and that like any business it takes time for that to grow well i i love that part of the story because as i said so many of us would cherish being agented but it doesn't always work out and yeah. this really goes back to your other theme of uh, at the very beginning where we were talking about you know tomorrow isn't promised we don't know how much time we have and i think particularly for authors of a certain age we yeah. want our books out in the world and it takes so much work to do that so i'd love to hear a little bit about some of the mistakes you made and then what made it a bestseller though obviously it's wonderful writing and it's a series but there's do you have some secrets both on the boy don't do this and please make sure you do that part mm. so um so i think if you if you want to have your best if you want to have a bestseller, then you have to have a launch campaign. And your launch campaign starts well before the book's published. So you have to and you have to engage with social media, you have to engage with um, speaking um, on podcasts and so on. So you have to begin to um, excite people about the prospect of this book coming. And then I'm a real believer that on that launch weekend, you have to have book promotions stacked. Um, and I, the method I used was to, to use initially free book promotions and then to bring in some lower price book promotions and then for the book to go to its full price uh, alongside um, my speaking engagements. And the other thing I think authors, you have to have an email list. You have to have a tribe of people who love your work um, and who will put that message out for you as well. And that involves, I think, again, a lot of back, back work. I think it involves a bit of gifting your work so that people, you know, if you have a novella or a, a prequel, um, that you can become involved with a cooperative um, promotions with other authors so that you share your list with them and they share their list with you so that you have multiple lists that you can then access. So it's really important to have joint ventures with other authors. I don't think you can do it if you're an island. Um, yeah, so that, that's it. It wasn't really sorcery. It was just a, a planned campaign. Well, and I think, you know, you, you speak certainly to the wearing of the many hats, but if there was something that surprised me most in becoming a novelist versus the fiction, the nonfiction writing that I did, it is truly that it takes a village and we have to be so mm. collaborative. Mm. So, yes. Um, I'm just delighted to have the opportunity to have you on the show, Angela. I want people to look for your series, but also for your new book, A Song for Kitty. Particularly, you. you have just such a wonderful stance for the things that impact women. So I'm so glad that you're here today on The Storytellers.
Thank you so much. It's been fun to chat. It's been great. This has been a copyrighted episode of The Storytellers by Grace Salmon and Authors on the Air, Global Radio Network. That concludes this episode of The Storytellers. I'm so glad you could be part of the story today. I hope you share the stories, tell your own, and come back for another episode. Because when our stories are told, everything changes. I'm Grace Salmon.